Maybe you're fit, maybe you're trying to get fit, but what if you wanted to take that to the extreme? Well, you're going to find about that on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body starting feet first, you know, those things at the end of your leg, the foundation, the things you stand on and run with and walk on, you know. Anyway, on this podcast, we explore the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies you've been told about what it takes to run, walk, hike, do yoga, CrossFit, do crazy things like you're about to hear, uh, and to do that enjoyably and efficiently and effectively. And did I say enjoyably? Trick question. I know I did. I would never leave it out because look, if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep doing it. So find something you enjoy. I'm Stephen Sashin, co-CEO, co-founder of ZeroShoes.com. Here's the t-shirt to prove it. And we call this the movement movement because we are creating a movement that involves you, more about that in a second, about natural movement, letting your body do what it is made to do. And the you part is really easy. Go to our website, www.jointhemovementmovement.com. There's nothing you need to do to join, but that's where you'll find all our previous episodes, all the ways you can engage with us on social media, all the other places you can find the podcast if you don't like the place you found it this time. And if you want to help, it's really easy to get the word out. Just give us a thumbs up, give us a good review, uh, like, subscribe, hit the bell icon on YouTube. You know the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, just subscribe. All right, let us jump in. Ethan, it is crazy early where you are. Tell people who you are and what you're doing here. Yeah, sure. Well, look, my name's Ethan. Um, I've been I've been running a, a health and wellness business for about seven years now, but that's what I like to call my full-time job. My part-time job is what I call a suffering enthusiast, which is pretty much I'm enthusiastic about finding ways to torture myself. Um, started for me... In about 2018, I uh, had a weird idea. Well, actually, that's a lie. My friend had a weird idea to do burpees for an hour. <laughs> so pause, pause right there. This is the way almost all bad things start, where someone has an idea and then there's usually a beer involved or a, you know, how hard could that be? Or, but anyway, uh, so Pretty much. Want, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, my, my, I remember my friend calling me up and saying, you know, do you want to do an hour of burpees? And at the time I've got my, you know, my ego was through the through the roof when I was, you know, in 2018 and I've gone an hour of burpees. Why don't we make it 24 hours of burpees? Um, anyway, that idea turned into reality and then reality turned into torture. And then I remember when I finished that event, um, which I ended up doing 11,401 burpees, one centimeter short of the Guinness World Record line because I didn't measure the lines properly. So that was a really good lesson in what you shouldn't do, uh, which was great to have that. But yeah, I finished that and that was kind of, I guess you could say the narrative of what my life's been since is trying to find these uncomfortable things to do to learn from them. Well, I want to hear about the other ones other than burpees, but let's back up to burpees. So um, up until that point, you know, what was the most you'd ever done? Burpees? Yeah. I don't know, an hour, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Like it was, as um, you know, I was pretty ignorant back then and which actually had its, you know, benefits because I think as we get a bit older, we seem to evaluate risks a bit more and that becomes, stops us from doing things we want to do, right? Um but back then, I just, I remember it was literally, what, eight-week training program, a couple of burpees a week. Sorry, my dog's bloody scratching at the door. Um, then we've, you know, after that, it was pretty much game on. Like, it was, so, and it was, it was brutal. 
Well, yeah. So what did you imagine it was going to be like, or what was your plan going in? And then what actually happened? Because it strikes me that deciding to do 24 hours of burpees, once you get into it, it's going to be like that Mike Tyson line. Everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. I imagine there yeah. was, you know, a number of punch in the face moments. Yeah, there was. And there was, I mean, the punch in the face moments came in about 30 minutes as well, because <laughs> so we, we just, we had the bright idea of doing it at Federation Square, which in Australia is this big place in the, the CBD where everyone watching, which was, you know, traumatizing. Um, but we, we were about half an hour in and we started getting cramps. It was hot. We were in a lot of trouble, but we had the plan to do it 15 minutes on and then about, sorry, sorry, 45 minutes on, 15 minutes off. That was the plan for pretty much the whole 24 hours. Right. And so uh, now, first of all, you said we, so your friend who came up with this idea, he's doing it too? Yeah, so he did. And he got hospitalized. So he went to the hospital with rhabdomyelitis. I can always forget how to say it, rhabdomyelitis or something. Yeah, rhabdomyelitis. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he was in hospital about at the 12 hour mark. And and holy crap. Uh, So um, can you explain what that is rather than me doing it? Basically, yes. What rhabdo is, is that you work a muscle long enough, long story short, the toxins break down, they go into your kidneys. Your kidneys can't actually produce and filter these toxins. Kidney failure. That's pretty much the short version. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. Um, So he did that at 12. (laughs) I meant, so man, there's so many things that are going through my head. So first of all, um, he's gone at 12 hours. What time of day did you start? I think we started about 10 a.m. Um, yeah, so he was about 10 PM. He was, piss- he was pissing out black goo, um, which was pretty funny because the news report the next day, I still give him, still give him a bit of crap for this, but the news report says, uh, trainer breaks world record for uh, 24 hours of burpees. Fellow trainer gets hospitalized. <laughs> so I still make sure I show him that one every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, again, I got so many questions. I'll start with this one. When he dropped out, at 10 o'clock at night ish, you know, what happened in your mind? Yeah. Like it was a, I wasn't the resilient person I was back then. So for me, it was a lot of tears, a lot of, a lot of sadness. And I remember we wrote this, we had this idea to write these letters to ourselves that when things got hard, Uh um, we'd read, we'd read them and it would kind of inspire us. But I remember reading it, it just broke me down even more. So that didn't work too well. Um, but I think because of the because of the situation I was in, the environment I was in, where I had so many people watching, I really didn't have much of a choice, yeah. and that kind of worked to my favour. Um, so that was probably one of the main reasons I was able to finish it. How many people like were there through the middle of the night? Well, if you take it out all the two a.m. party animals, there was. Um, <laughs> There was still quite no, a no, few. But... No, no, hold on. Don't take them out. I want to know if somebody comes out of a bar, they're a little wasted, and they see you doing burpees in the street, basically. What the hell did they say and do? That was 95% of the people that were coming past. And like we, I would be doing burpees. You know, I've been out here for 13 hours doing burpees. And then there's some guy being like, do them, do them faster, mate. And then, um, then I'll... <laughs> You know, he's jumping in with me and it was, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. That's, that's for sure. Just oh, dive man. headfirst into it. That's for sure. That's, that is pretty entertaining. So, which actually leads me to a question. So what was the pace that you were doing these at? Can you give me a sense of, you know, how fast you or slow you were going? Yeah. So I actually just remembered it then when you were talking. So 15 uh, every minute on the minute was how we did okay. it. 
So, and that was for 45 minutes and then you'd rest for 15. So every time the buzzer would go, we'd do 15. And then we did that for four hours. Then it was 14, then four hours, 13. So we had this kind of every four hours we'd drop a burpee. Hallelujah. But it, you know, after 12 hours, you didn't really notice the three different three burpee difference, but yeah. that was the the process of how we did it. How did you come up lasted, with that? How did you come up with that idea as a, as a protocol? Um, I don't know. I think everything looks good on paper and that one looked good on paper and we trialed it for about an hour or two and we thought, you know what, this is pretty possible. Um, but you know, doing something for an hour and then testing it for 24 are two completely different things. And back then I was a, I was a broken human before I actually started using things like barefoot shoes movement, like all these other things. Like it was, um, yeah, I was a broken human back then. Broken how? I just had a lot of problems that I didn't fix. And, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of issues that with my body, I was very much like, if you grind something down long enough, you just turn to dust. Right. And I was, um, my approach back then to health and fitness was very much just do more, do more, do more rather than working out what to do and why you do it. Right. So it was a bit of a, the burpees for me was like the, the top of the problems. And then after I did the 24 hours of burpees, I was this crumble of a human, um, and I had to rebuild. <laughs> yeah, that I, I was getting, I'm going to get there, but I'm not there yet asking what it was like to recover. So um, had you done any other prep other than tried, you know, that protocol for a couple of hours? We did. It was literally, it was an eight week prep, but because I was so inexperienced with knowing how to train for, I guess, something like this, it was just like we ran, we did weights and we did burpees like a couple of days a week. That was it. And I mean, like, it's pretty obvious that if you want to get good at burpees, you should probably do burpees. It's, there's not a lot of, you know, science behind that, right? There's the said principle and stuff, but just do the burpees. But the problem is, is we, you know, we avoided that naturally because you don't want to do burpees. Right. And then we suffered for it. <laughs> um, so there's two other parts about the record. Um, was there an existing Guinness Book record? There was, yeah. So it was about 10,000 burpees. So these were traditional burpees. These were the ones where you don't have to go chest the floor. Um, and the way that I missed out on this record was that, I, you know, when it finished, I was on the news, guy breaks Guinness World Record, all this. And then when I put the application through, it said, um, what did it say? It said, oh, yeah, you, your lines were too short. So your feet are supposed to go to the line and touch uh-uh. the line. I was going here. So essentially one centimeter short. So I did a thousand more than the record one centimeter short. Oh man. So yeah. So there's a line where your hands are behind, basically behind your hands when your feet are coming in, they've got yeah. to get the line. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, now, of course the obvious question once you, well, before we get to recovery, when you discovered that, that you had missed it by a centimeter, what the hell went through your brain? I was very disappointed because for me, like it was, you think, yeah. <laughs> and well, back, well, back then I didn't do those things for internal glory. That's what I would say. I, I did them from more of an external gratification. I think mm-hmm. um, where now when I do something, it's, it's driven from like an intrinsic motivator. But back then I was like, I put a lot of eggs in this basket of like wanting to break this Guinness world record. And then when I missed it, it was really disappointing. And I felt like I let everyone down as well. Um, yeah at the time for sure yeah uh, i can imagine you might have wanted to trade that for rabdo um <laughs> yeah, yeah at least i would have had a reason <laughs> <laughs> so 
So then, all right, you finish it. And, and, and I mean, it's funny. I'm thinking, I watched a video last night, just almost accidentally of guys who decided to do a hundred burpees a day for 30 days. And it started out, one of them could do the, do a hundred. Um, and they broke it down into sets of 25. One of them could do it in uh, about 10 minutes, the other in about 12 minutes, 30 days later, it was about six minutes and seven minutes. But th- the one comment mm-hmm. they made is over the 30 days, it never got easier. They got faster. It. it never got easier. So, you know, just the idea of going through it all and and watching them was interesting because nothing really changed much in their body. They expected it would, but nothing really changed. But even them, just watching them recover from doing a hundred over the course of 10 minutes, what was it like when you were done? What happened to your body? What'd you have to do next to, you know, become human again? Out of everything I've done, and I've done some pretty whack stuff oh, that, we'll there. That, 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 that ruined me more than anything because my hip flexors were completely torn to shreds because I was just the movement of going in and out for so long. My knuckles were so bad. I've got a photo I'll have to show you where they were fully torn, both of them. Before before you said that, I was going to ask, were you wearing gloves? Were you wearing knee pads? I mean, you know, like what what else were you wearing? Yeah. So if you imagine doing a burpee, the lower you have to get to the ground, the more like the more challenging it is. So we would do them on our fists because, you know, you've got an extra two inches there right yep um because but because of that yeah we put gloves on we put these little mma gloves on we looked absolutely ridiculous but we did them on mma gloves by the time you took off your gloves after 24 hours because i was too afraid to test it during it my hands were like the most red raw things you've ever seen like there was no skin across all of my knuckles um so i had nerve problems in my hands for a while i had plantar fasciitis my feet for ages um God, hip flexors were torn to shreds, so I couldn't run or walk properly. When I finished it, I remember I was um at the time I was living with two people and I was in the I was on the toilet and I sat down on the toilet and I had to call them to get me off the toilet because I couldn't actually physically get off myself, which was quite demoralizing to have to call your, you know, your housemates to get you off the toilet. I could still wipe, thank God, but they had to get me off. <laughs> that was just preparing for your old age. Yeah, that's it. It's practicing. practicing. Yeah, yeah. Now that you, now that you've done it once, it'll be okay the next time. Um, yeah. Holy moly! And and of course the the I mean the, the last question I can think of about burpees. Given all of that, did it occur to you, hey, I should do this again? Well, actually, I spent I spent two and a half years training for burpee records. After that, so yeah, I guess I did. I had a bit of um you know unsettled business with them. I didn't have the best luck with them after that. I um. I tried to break a one hour Guinness world record, which I spent like, I reckon nine months training for, and I kept missing it by like two, three burpees at a time, which was very, very frustrating. Um, ended up breaking a lousy three minute Guinness world record for them. Um, but yeah, that's where my, that's where my journey ended after that for the burpees, for the burpees. <laughs> for, for, the, for the Guinness book thing, um, there are a couple of ways of doing that. One is you just do the thing and then you send them whatever documentation to show that you did it. The other is, you know, paying them a bunch of money to come out and watch. Did you, which of those yeah. did you do? Uh, so I, I um, did all the filming and then sent it in, which is by far the most affordable way of doing it. Otherwise yeah. you're spending, you know, I think $8,000 in uh, euros. So yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I I I did the cheapest submission uh, recently, and I know that I I'm pretty confident that I'll be able to get the record, but I'm pretty confident the moment it's published, someone's going to beat it. So I'm 61 years old, and I did a standing backflip on the ground. Um, so just you know, yeah, nice. Because, 
Right now, the world record for oldest standing backflip is a 94-year-old guy, but he did it into a swimming pool. So that doesn't count. And I couldn't find any video uh-huh. showing, you know, how far around he even made it. But uh, I know there will be some, you know, 62-year-old circus geek who will beat me and then we'll be in a competition until one of us dies. Um, and, uh, uh, and But I'm definitely not going to pay to have them come out and do it. I'll just, you know, show them my birth certificate, show them the newspaper and send in the film. Uh, yeah, it's a bit, um, it's a tedious process. I've spent the amount of hours I've spent submitting records is is beyond me. <laughs> well, so let's go into that phase. So after burpees, and then I, I'm, I'm really curious to hear, I, I'm curious to hear a couple of things, like just what changed for you personally? And I don't mean your own psychology. I mean, what happened to, you know, your business or whatever you're doing? Um, did how, what, what did the attention get you or not get you? And then, mm-hmm. and then moving from there to, you know, um, as you were saying, you, you were just beating yourself up to do these before what changed to then become, uh, to have this internal motivation to try and do these other endurance events. Well, I think the, the number one thing that resonated me with after that, and I mean, not the day after, I mean, <laughs> like three months after in hindsight. Yeah. Once was, you get on the toilet on your own. Exactly. You don't finish it that instantly and go, wow, like you're still suffering, but Long story short, I look back on it and I've kind of gone like, I did that off eight weeks with pretty much no specific training, no idea what I was doing. And I was able to do that. What else is out there? And I feel like that narrative has kind of driven me for the last four or five years. Um, And that's where a lot of my work now is helping other people kind of find their new limit, right? Whatever that is to them. And that's the thing that changed for me. My, My approach now is like, is it possible? Yes. Okay, then let's try and yes, we can be as much like prepared as possible for it. And there's definitely better ways of preparing for things. Um, but at the end of the day is I think sometimes as people, we confuse what's hard with what's possible. Say more about that. that. That's sense. a really, that's a really interesting distinction. Well, it's like, if you think about a marathon, right? Marathon is what a most average person would call the pinnacle of health and fitness, right? But 90, I would say not maybe not 95%, but most people can complete a marathon if even if they were just to walk some of it, right? But we don't do it. And then you ask yourself, like, why why are you doing a marathon in the first place? Most of the time, it's not to get a sub three and a half hour time. It's to get, it's to like be happy with yourself that you completed and did something out of your comfort zone, right? So we can all, we can all strive for that, but we don't because we confuse what's hard with what's possible. Mm. And that's what I kind of mean by that concept is like, I had the amount of times I've heard people tell me, oh, I just can't do it. And it's like, we can do it. You just don't have the belief in yourself and you're worried about what other people are going to think if you get a bad time. If we could remove what other people would think about it, I think we would do a lot more. Well, you know, there's another aspect of that I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about that I'd love to hear your thoughts, which has to do with the way people perceive someone who has done something versus what led to it. And what makes me think of this, I heard an interview with uh, um, a comedian named Leslie Jones. She was on uh, Saturday Night Live here in the States. And she said, the problem when you're watching someone who's done something, you see them now, but you don't see the how. And without knowing that part, it it can be either disheartening or confusing or just send you on the wrong path. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's, it's like, um, I was describing this about like mental toughness the other day. Um, I run these retreats where I take people away and mental toughness, you could call it, but essentially we just do some really hard stuff and, (laughs) We were talking about the concept of mental toughness. And if you have two people, right, you have one person who completes a marathon really well. You're like, oh, yeah, he's a good runner. And then you have one person who struggles through a marathon and you go to yourself, 
oh, he's really mentally tough. It's like, well, one person prepared better. Why does the one that didn't prepare better more mentally tough? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I wish I could remember who was the who was the person who did this, but there was some uh, world champion marathoner who st- stayed around after he ran, you know, two hours and just a few minutes beyond that. I mean, like somewhere around 210, 215 probably, and then stayed until the marathon ended, which was like nine hours later and came up and congratulated all the people who finished just under the wire, like nine hours and said, what you just did, I couldn't do. I couldn't keep going for nine hours. And it was a really beautiful and very true thing um, that people don't understand, you know, the, what the difference is between someone who's an elite, super fast person versus someone who's just, you know, grinding it out for whatever reason. Um, I thought that was a very, very elegant, is that the word I'm looking for? Let's use it for now. Very elegant thing to do to stay and thank those people and appreciate them. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, the, there's some there's some crazy people out there that stick through some really really tough stuff, but it's also I also find it sad for the people that have prepared so well because all those day day in day out mental toughness things that you don't see that's why yeah. they're so good and that's why they can complete something in half the time of someone else a lot of the time, right? Well, that that reminds me. Um, I was at a lecture from uh, a ultra runner named Tony Kropichka, and someone said, "You know, I've run a fifty mile race, but I've never run a hundred. Like you have, what do I need to do to you know train for the hundred? And Tony says, "Nothing." He's what? He's well, you've already done all the training in <laughs> you. It, the you know that last fifty miles has nothing to do with the training. It's all in your head. Yeah, a hundred percent. Love it. This is uh, the ultra running world is just the pinnacle of mental toughness. It's so fantastic. Dude, I don't like to drive as far as they run. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, but that's because I'm a sprinter. So that the idea of that, I mean, the, I can't think of anything that the whole idea of doing what did I, the only thing I've ever done, like as a 24 hour something, like a deliberate 24 hour something was when I was, oh my God, like 15, I went to a summer camp and they had a radio station. So I did a 24 hour marathon of just, you know, being a DJ for 24 hours. And, <laughs> um, and I will admit, like, I think at around three in the morning, I put on one side of an album and took a 30 minute nap. So uh, that's the closest I've ever done. Oh no, I, yeah, I take it back. I did a 24 hour movie marathon too. Yeah, it's, it's 24 hour events or something else. That's for sure. They definitely have their own, their own waves of problems and enjoyment. Yeah. That, and those were mostly sitting around. So, so post burpees, what are the other things that you've done? And when you're taking people on these retreats, what do you have them do? But I want to hear about you first. So, I mean, I've done it. I've done quite a few things, but probably the most pivotal thing that I've done was I, after that, I had this series of little things. And when I say little, I mean, like I rode a bike from a state to a state and there's a few other things that were, I, I didn't train as much for, but the one that I set my mind to, and the one that I trained for, for ages was I, planned on dragging a car um 100 kilometers which which started out i was like oh i'll do a marathon with the car and then i was like you know what someone else has done that what's the furthest we can go and i was like drawing lines on a whiteboard all these different things and i was like oh 100 k's drag a car all right you know what else am i going to do with my time let's see how we go um Wait, hold on hold on pause right there what else am i going to do with my time other than drag a car for 100k um yeah well i was looking for something i could sink my teeth into and give me a good nine months of kind well, of training well, but where'd that idea even come from honestly i would wish it was this this euphoric moment that came to me but i literally said to myself i want to have a challenge 
And I went on a whiteboard and I wrote down about a ton of disciplines on one side and I wrote down a ton of things on the other side. So 24 hours, 100Ks, all these different like criteria. And I just drew lines together, to be honest. And then Stephen, when I found one I liked, I was like, ah, that's the one. And then- I just, I just love that you brainstormed drag a car as one of the activities. Well, it was, a, I think it was a sled or something. And then I saw a hundred Ks and I drew a hundred Ks and I was like, I don't want to do a hundred Ks of running. And I so why does, for some random reason, dragging a car hundred Ks for me sounded more attractive than running a hundred Ks, which in hindsight, I realize now hundred Ks of running probably would have been more enjoyable. <laughs> well, and of course, uh, then the question, what kind of car and uh, were the brakes on and did you have to go uphill, downhill or were you on a flat? So I was at an airport runway, which was um, oh my gosh, interesting. Yeah, so that was a pretty cool experience. But I had a Jeep Wrangler, so it was two tons. Now this was not my choice. This was I submitted this to Guinness World Record, and they said you've got to use a two-ton car. And then I, was, I thought I've got I've only trained to even think about using a one-point-four-ton, and they're like, well, bad luck. I was like, oh, life gives you lemons, <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to that be one it. centimeter short on the car. Um, nah. So now again, I'm just thinking of all these things. Okay. If it was me, I would take the Jeep. That's cool. But then I would put bald tires on it. So there's almost no rolling resistance. I'd pump them up like crazy. Did you do anything to the car? We did. Yeah. We like, so the car was 2.5 tons. We had to get it down because I had, it was my own Jeep at the time. And it was, you know, one of those classic Jeeps where it was raised, big tires. So we had to strip it all, change it all just to get it workable for the event. Okay, look, I don't want to be too insulting, but um, it didn't occur to you to go to a car dealership and have them give you the car and then give you the car? I, I know. I thought about that, but I already had my own car. So, like, I could train with my own car, which I did not because it was COVID <laughs> and we were on a, we were in a 5K radius. So, the training was a whole different other area. But, um, yeah, I just stripped the seats out of the car, took the took some of the roof off, put the soft top on, managed to get it to 1.999 and then added a small dumbbell in, problem solved. How do you so <laughs> so you're on an airport runway? Um, I'm assuming uh, it was not in use and you weren't dodging planes. Well, it wasn't in use because of COVID at the time, which was really lucky. That's oh. the only reason we were able to get it. There was still like a defense force planes landing and things like that, but um like it, it was pretty much free the whole time, which well, was great. And so was it literally just like up and back and up? I mean, were you just doing a loop? It was like a, it was a 5K loop. So it would, you would just do the whole loop. Um, I would describe it. I don't know if this is possible, but it was a continuous uphill loop. That's what we used to describe it as. Cause well, that, I was thinking about that because most people don't know. They think runways are flat and they're not. No, they're not. They're actually designed to catch an airplane. Um, and unfortunately with that is that means that the asphalt, the bitumen is, is actually really grippy and it sticks to the car. Yeah. So that was probably the number one thing I was not prepared for was the weather um, and the, the runway. Those two things were traumatic. It still gives me goosebumps thinking back to what it feels like during, during that on there. <laughs> well, again, again, it's, you know, this is the punch in the face moment. How long did it take you until you went, Oh shit, I did not think about this. I was about three hours in and it was a very, very hot day in um, Melbourne, Australia. And when the sun was hitting me and I was sweating, I remember my friend goes to me, hey, man, if you, if you stay at this pace three hours in, it's going to take us two and a half days uh, without, <laughs> any, without, without any stopping. 
And I was like, thank you for your moral support. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad I chose you on my support crew. Um, anyway, that was the moment where I, I started to really like, you know, spiral. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I should have, should have um, you know, I'm going to waste everyone's time. Like real negative thinking. Um, but, you know, like any ultra endurance event, you have your ups, you have your downs. You just got to ride the waves. Well, so I don't, I don't want to gloss over that point too quickly. When you were having those thoughts, when you know whether it was early on when you realized, oops, or in the middle of the night again, how do you uh, work with those thoughts? What do you do when they're popping up in your brain? I always, I always try to think of them and not give them power. So, like if they come in, I almost just like kind of like meditation. You know, if you ever try to meditate, you let a thought come in and you just let it pass. The, obviously, it's easier said than done in these situations, but I think just not not giving it power and not like allowing it to be a real thought, but not allowing it to take over your actions. Like, yeah, I, I want to make those decisions, but I'm not going to make those decisions. Let's see how I feel in an hour. Every time you do that, an hour later, you feel different. It, I, yeah. I My favorite way of playing with that has to do with hunger, where there's sometimes where I'm hungry like, and I meet, like, it'll hit me out of nowhere. And I'm immediately thinking I've got to get food. And I go, well, that's crazy. 10 seconds ago, I didn't have that thought that I was so desperate for food. So what happens if I just wait? And in, and it's not like I watch it pass. It's just that a few minutes later, I notice, oh, I forgot to pay attention. It's gone. And eventually it comes back. It's not like I'm, you know, fasting for any appreciable amount of time, but people, often people have never even had the experience of dealing with something as as screamingly obvious as just hunger and watching that it doesn't stick around or grow exponentially the way that we imagine until we're just you know chewing table legs. Um, so yeah. Um, so yeah, the meditative version of that is a it's a good way of thinking of it. I, I like to one of my my little mantras. I like to say, "What do you care what you think about you?" It's like some thought just mm. popped up and whatever. I mean, it's just a thing. Yeah, no, I love it. It's um, it's it's interesting. It's like the human body will give us signals that something, they want something to change, but the human body and the human mind will also adapt to your current situation. And there's a fine line between you just having you actioning those, those feelings and letting them go. And most of the time, if we let them go long enough, the human body and mind will change for us, which is great. Well, there's a, this, you might get a kick out of this. So one of the things that, one of the reasons I moved to Boulder, Colorado 30 years, almost 30 years ago, was I was doing Zen archery and they like to say it's, you know, meditation in motion and people go, well, well, how how does that work? And I go, well, um, when you're doing Zen archery, you basically end up getting like five different thoughts. There's this sort of, you know, fear, there's wanting to do it right. There's wanting to look good. I mean, there's only like five different things that come up in your mind when you're trying to do this thing. And like most of the Japanese arts, um, you, they're, they're prescribed. So there's a perfect way to do them, but you'll never do them perfectly. It just doesn't work that way. So, and there's also this weird part where you're simultaneously trying to be really relaxed while you're, you're holding this really strong bow that if you don't shoot it properly could like cut your ear off. I mean, literally. So what happens though, over time, if you just get the same five thoughts over and over and over, you just bore the shit out of yourself. And after a while, you just stop paying attention to them. They show up. It's like, eh, whatever that thing again. And that's yeah. the, the, the interesting thing. That's the advantage to uh, Zen archery versus just sitting on a cushion and meditating is when you're just sitting on a cushion, you get an infinite number of thoughts. Uh, and instead of just that limiting thing. And I imagine there's a similar thing happening for you with when you're in one of these, 
um, events, and I want to talk about more, where you know that um, after a little while, it's like that same thing about I can't do it or fill in the blank, whatever that, you know, the small number of thoughts are. Um, and before you respond to that, then of course, that leads me to this question. At, at any point in this, do you find any kind of like mental breakthrough or something where it just suddenly gets really blissful, wonderful, open, because you've just given up on trying to fight against the pain and the agony and everything else? Yeah, probably about 19 times over 24 hours. And then there's followed by 19 depression times. <laughs> this is like, I feel like there's, there's a lot of people that will say that they'll do this and those thoughts don't come up. I, I would I would argue that those thoughts are still always there, but they're just followed by peaks and troughs. But yeah. the thing is, is those those troughs, those low points, like you're saying, it, they they just don't have the same impact they used to. Oh, I'm feeling really terrible. I'm having maybe a negative thought, but you just kind of don't care about it the same way. You yeah. just realize it's, it's just going to pass. So when you know it's going to pass, it's fine. But when you don't know it's going to pass, it's, it's traumatic. <laughs> well, I, and I like what you said about, you know, you'll have the high points and then the, the valleys that follow because there's a, um, a woman who wrote a book. I haven't gotten it yet. I, it, I ordered it from the library not that that's relevant, um, called dopamine nation. <laughs> and one of her premises is that when you have these really high moments, your brain is trying to get back to a baseline. And so if you think about a seesaw, if you've, you know, if you've got a really high moment, you've got to get that really low moment afterwards to get back to balance. So your brain is creating those low moments literally just to get you back into something that feels normal, which is a fascinating, fascinating way of framing those high points. And back to Zen archery, I remember there was a time where, um, there's a line in Zen archery, which is at the moment of release, the archer's true nature is revealed. And it's highly mythologized and doesn't mean anything really. What it really means is that if you know how to look when you're doing this weird thing of shooting this Japanese bow, um, the way you release, the way you let go, what happens in that moment just shows some things about your personality. It's the simplest way I can put it. But there was a time where anytime I shot, every time I let go, let the arrow go, I just got this wave of bliss. And the next thought that I had was, God damn it. Because I knew that the longer I had that, the worse it was going to be when it went away, either like for real, physically unpleasant or my wanting to get that back. And so it was, so I just, I think I'm really just shortened the process where it was like bliss, damn it, bliss, damn it. And eventually, you know, it kind of evened out. But I think if I had gotten attached to the bliss part, it would have been bad. Yeah, hundred percent. Everything is borrowed. Every every like heightened emotion <laughs> is borrowed. You know, I love every it. low emotion is borrowed. Like you always just like if I sometimes I have these moments in the challenge where I'm so on top of the world. I'm almost like you know a lot high on life, right? You could say, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, oh shit, because I know that this is usually followed by a complete like in the pits feeling. So it's just yeah, well, like you, know, you said, this is well, the perfect way to say it. But here's the funny way. It may be the other way around. It may be that all the struggle and the whatever, and that because actually this is in Dopamine Nation, one of her recommendations for dealing with things like addiction um, is to do something like exercise or something that is demonstrably not, you know, crazy unpleasant, but unpleasant enough that when you're trying your brain is trying to regulate, it's going to have to upregulate with something pleasant. So maybe, you know, mm. it was all those unpleasant things that led to the blissful things rather than the crash, which if that's the case, you know, really reframes the way we think about highs and lows. It doesn't. It also makes the lows really, you know, uh, bearable because you're like, oh, I've got a little high coming up in like seven hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of seven hours, so how long did it take you since it clearly didn't take two and a half days? 
Well, it did. It pretty much did. So it was 48 hours and something minutes, 30 minutes Jeez. with um probably about seven minutes of sleep. So, and yeah, that was pretty much so me. Were you, I mean, were you, so before burpees, it was, you know, every minute on the minute and then 15 minutes off every hour. Were, were you just like moving nonstop on this one? Yeah, this was me attached to a car for literally 48 hours. And oh. I mean- like besides besides going to the toilet and most of the time I was going to the toilet on the runway don't tell them but that yeah so it was non-stop what were you non-stop. eating and drinking during that uh well, I mean I had like normal nutrition protocols so like I was having salt tablets um one or two of those each hour depending on the sweat and stuff I was having you know your gels I was having normal food the perk of doing your car is that your your heart rate doesn't peak over 150 160 so you can sustain it from like a heart rate point of view but from a body point of view still breaks down yeah yeah and so again you know once you were done i mean 48 hours jesus what happened in the aftermath of that do you know what's funny i slept while i literally got in the car and fell asleep and i remember waking up at home that was that was pretty much the journey home um so yeah, I, my body slept straight away. Cause I haven't been, I haven't slept for 56 hours. Was, I was up for total. Um, but I, the, the body recovered really well from that because I actually spent so long training for this. Now it's pretty hard to train for dragging a car because you don't drag a car obviously around the streets of Melbourne. Um, <laughs> and if you do, you're getting arrested. Right. But the, what I did is I attached a sled to a, uh, at a park. I just put tons of weight on a sled and I walked around it for four hours, a couple of times a morning. And that was my training regime for the nine months. So I'll, because of the preparation I had and the, the low impact of the event, I actually recovered well from that one, which was good. I am, I'm required by law to ask this question. Uh, what were you wearing on your feet? This was about six months. Oh, so I started doing, I started doing minimalist shoes day to day but I wasn't at the point where I was using them for events yet. Now I use them for every single thing I do. Um, And that means like from thongs to runners to training to events. But back then I was walk around in like minimalist shoes and then training. Like I use like some crappy ASICs that cause me shin splints, to be honest. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's what I used. I think at the time, some Asics thing. I had Vivos for my other events, some of my other events, and then I've used to played around with heaps of different brands. Um, yeah, we're in this phase where people are, you know, trying things from every different company and finding the things that work, which I'm all for. It's like you know, all of that is growing the awareness and um, it's helping all of us. Anyway, back to you for the win. Okay, so we've got uh, um, 24 hours of burpees. We got 48 hours of dragging a car. So, what else has been on your on your endurance crazy list? Uh, I did 24 hours on an assault bike. You know that one? The yeah. where you yeah um, legs. I did a hundred hours staying awake, which was pretty rough. I did a just just plain staying awake. Yeah, I th- I thought to myself, you know, you're banging on about all these resilience challenges, but you haven't even stayed awake long. So I I just like stuff it. I'm going to try a hundred hours awake. Um, that one is. Which was, that, I mean, look, I did seventy two by nice. accident. Um, when we were we were on Shark Tank, which um, in the UK they had Dragon's Den. I don't know about Australia, but. Um, yeah, just, yeah, I've seen it. So when we aired, I just was up for three days dealing with the website crashing and customer service, et cetera. And um, <laughs> around the seventy-hour mark, I'm on, I'm on a uh, had a 
um, treadmill desk. I'm walking on the treadmill, talking to someone on the phone, or no, talking to someone on Skype. They asked me a question and I kind of look up to try to see if I can find the answer. And the next thing I knew, I was sound asleep standing up. It was, um, yeah, it was horrible. I, I did, I had to reverse my days. So during the day, I would somewhat take it easy. And then at night, I would go for runs, sit on a bike. I had to treat it like an exercise challenge or I wouldn't have stayed awake. And yeah. even then I would, I would, even when I was sitting down, I'd, I'd used to, I was bouncing this ball because if I didn't bounce the ball, I would just fall asleep instantly. And, and so at what point did your mind really seem to crack on that one? Cause that's what I imagine happens. So I would just, the first, the first day kind of, I actually came into this. I was going, Oh, I've been up for 56 hours before. <laughs> First, first, first 50 hours is going to be a breeze. I'm not dragging the car, but without the stimulus of doing something, it was horrible because I was just I had so many natural hormones telling me to go to sleep, as you should, that avoiding those was really challenging. But after I avoided them, that's when just deliria came in. Like I was, I was seeing, like I remember I was driving home, or I wasn't driving, but I was in the car and I was like going down to grab my shoes and I thought my dog was licking my hand. I didn't even have a dog in the car. Like it was just my my brain was just turning into mush. Uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty horrible experience. Actually, I would never do. I probably would never do that again. That was that was a one and done thing. Um, no, yeah, that one uh, that one I, I, I would never do it. Obviously, um, but I mean, I've just read enough about uh, military training and whatnot where and just the effect of that because people have been curious like why do we have to sleep it's like well um, we don't know why but we know that if you don't you go crazy and you really do go crazy like i started creating an alter ego for myself called tom like i was like going around to my partner at the time being oh, sorry, i'm still my partner but saying hey like tom's um ethan's not here right now tom's here and she's like what the fuck are you saying You're like this is 80 hours and i'm she said she came in one night and she said, I was just sitting there staring at the wall. And this is like hour 80 or something. And she came back like three or four hours. And I was still just like staring at the wall and in the same spot. No phone, no TV, nothing. I'm just like blank, lost. <laughs> yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, I, I still, I still wonder why I did that one. But I, the reason behind why I actually did that is I, I had this idea for another challenge, which required a lot of sleep debt. And I needed to know if I could do it. And the, the um, you know, the summary was no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I pre- yeah, I appreciate that you uh, that you have that kind of good sense, at least, um, which is a weird thing to say after we're talking about the things that you've already done. All right. So wait. OK, so what else is on the list? I did. Uh, what have we got? I just, it's hard to remember. I did an Adelaide ride off no training. So, so Adelaide is a state in Melbourne, uh, near, in Australia. Sorry. So, I t- I took a flight with a bike to another state, and I just rode home, self supported, off no training. That was one. Um, I did twenty four hours on the salt bike twice. I had the I have the hour salt bike Guinness World Record. Currently, still have the twenty four hour salt bike Guinness World Record. Three minute burpee Guinness World Record. Um, and then the car Guinness World Record. So they're my Guinness World Records. Um, and then the other ones are just weird ones, like did a triathlon off no, like a full distance triathlon off no training. Um, just, yeah. A few other little things, adventure races, marathons and stuff in between. And and again, I'm really curious, you know, since you have this business now of, of not only doing retreats, but just your professional business, how has this affected your business? Because I can imagine positive and negative. I can imagine 
that um, on the one hand, it could be inspiring for people who want to find out what you're doing and how they could do more better. I imagine some people could be intimidated. I imagine some people who are flat out nuts would come and hang out with you. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have a business that I started from 2016, which I still run today, but I have less involvement in. That business was for the everyday person, you could say. That business and what I do now does not relate. Like if I know I'm not inspiring, you know, a mom with two kids or, you know, dad that's working full time to go and do anything. That's not inspiring them. Um, so in that way, it hasn't helped, but it's great for getting personal trainers on board. That's for sure. Because personal trainers want to work for you when you've done all these crazy things. But I think the biggest lesson has taught me is that like, you know, if you can stay up for a hundred hours, you can, you can work hard, right? Like these, these things are work ethic based still, no yeah. matter what. So there's always going to be overlap there. Well, and the obvious question, what's next? Uh, so currently I'm doing in a few weeks, I've got, um, you know, Goggins challenge yeah. he's got, it's four by four by 48, where he does four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So I'm doing that for seven days. So on October 14th, I'm running 6.4 Ks or four miles, as you guys call it, um, every four hours for seven days straight. And and again, so wait, that's coming up when? Soon. It's come, yeah, that's in like three weeks. And yeah. holy crap. And what's been the prep for that one? Uh, running, a lot of running. And I am not <laughs> a runner, to be honest, Stephen. Like I'm like, I'm like a I'm like a wombat with like slightly longer legs. I look like a, a rot wheeler, like going through the bush. It's not like I'm I'm not a good runner, but I feel like 6.4 Ks or four miles is very achievable. And as long as I can get that done and I'm okay with the no sleep, I should be okay. We'll see though. Holy moly. And so look, so he's got four by four by 48. And what inspired you to just go, eh, screw it. Let's just go for seven days. Well, I just feel like what I want from challenges these days for me, like I want learning experiences yeah. and the learning experiences come from not doing the things that I didn't think I could do. So choosing something that I think I could do doesn't really fill my cup the way it used to. Um, so this challenge is something that I'm like, genuinely, I don't, I have no idea how I'm going to go after three or four days. So I guess we're going to learn together, right? Like it's <laughs> well, um, are you going to be, uh, is that going to be streamed in some way? Can people follow and track it? Yes. Yeah, so I've got a Strava event group going with it, but, and that's where all the times will be posted, but otherwise I'll just flood the Instagram for seven days with what I'm doing and the tears and all of the fun stuff that comes with it. Yeah, no, that would be, that would be amazing to follow. Um, so when I, in a few minutes, when I ask you to tell people how they can track you down, let's make sure we give them that info as well. Cause that's going to be a good one. Holy moly. If you had yeah. to, um, here's a crazy question. Um, are your parents still alive? They are. Yes. And how do they think about this? <laughs> so my mom is very much, I don't let her come to any event because she stresses us too much. Um, <laughs> Dad, I would say I he d- couldn't give a fuck. He's all right with it. He doesn't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, to put it I'm, bluntly. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say this is true, but I'm going to say it anyway because um, it's it's not. It's, let's see, it's not racist. It's not sexist. I don't know what the appropriate word is for this, but to a certain extent, everything we're talking about um, couldn't be more Australian. Uh, it you know it is a very Aussie yeah it's a very Aussie way 
It's kind of like there's a guy that I know. He was uh, a British guy uh, going in Australia, and he's at customs trying to get in. And they go, you know, uh, what are you here for? Business, you know, where are you staying? You kind of this hotel, um, and they say, do you have any have a criminal record? He goes, oh shit, do you still need one to get in? So, <laughs> so yeah, it is. There is a bit of like a an Aussie thing to just doing hard stuff, but not. Yeah. Just having a laugh with it, I think that's yeah. the the difference. in In the states, you know, I've met some really hardcore guys in the states, and they're really hard. They're really hardcore. <laughs> yeah, but in in Australia, your hardcore guy is your neighbor that you just like go out and greet him, and then he goes and runs like three hundred k's. You don't even know he runs three hundred k's. Right. Like it's it's different. It's different. Well, this is this is like my thing. Uh, you know, part of my story is that uh, what got me into the whole barefoot thing was a, I say a friend of mine who was a world champion cross country runner. Um, which is a, when I was living in Boulder, Colorado, I could have just said a world champion, my neighbor, because it doesn't matter where you live. You're living next to a world champion of some <laughs> sort. Um, it's really yeah. and like my training out of all the people I've ever trained with. I'm the only one that doesn't have a world championship title. Uh, <laughs> it's utterly ludicrous. And and I never will. I mean, the guys who are faster than me there, I mean, we're all genetic freaks, but they are the freakiest of the freaks. My only hope is that at some point I outlive them. And, uh, and, my, and my my actual only hope is things like at the world championships, I want to make it into a semifinals in the 100. If I make a semifinal somewhere in the top 16, I'm thrilled. Um, there's no, or actually I want to be in a four by 100 relay and have the, the other three guys carry me around. So I'm, I'm assuming you're using barefoot shoes then, right? Surely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to train in. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I train and compete in the speed force shoe that we made and we're actually yeah. working on a kind of secret non sprinting, non spike sprinting spike that, uh, it's not a secret now that I said that, but it's a very <laughs> interesting design that um, I think is probably going to be the best sprinting spike ever made for a bunch of reasons. Um, there's some very clever technology or lack thereof in it. I'll tell you what, I've got your, um, the shoes that you've got in the background, the the thong ones, I've got those. The Yeah. I, yeah. Still, I get a lot of crap from my Aussie mates about them because they're not, a, you know, they're not in here, but I, I rock them loud and proud now. <laughs> well, look, if you want to, if you want to get your neighbors to really uh, get their, their panties in a wad, um, add some beads or charms or, you know, <laughs> really, really go for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, 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 the minimalist shoe world is coming into Australia very hard right now. Like it's, yep. it wasn't around two, three years ago. I was, I reckon it was, I was one of few, but now, um, now people are doing it crazy here. If you look, um, if you look in the Google data about what people search for, and you look at the trend about when people search for tr- for barefoot shoes, uh, it peaked originally in 2009 when Born to Run came out and the whole boom started. Yeah. But it's at yeah. a worldwide peak now, um, both in the U.S. and worldwide. It's never been higher, and it's growing organically and growing fast. And I'll tell you, this um, news. This is um, something I probably shouldn't say, but I can't keep secrets. Uh, we're going to really make a change in Australia, hopefully within the next year, because we're working with some people who've gotten very into this idea. Actually, one of these people got into it about eight years ago. But now the other people that he works with are getting into it. And for people who don't know the Wiggles, I'm talking about the Wiggles. So oh, really? Anthony, yeah, Anthony, the yeah. Blue Wiggle has been a barefoot guy for like eight years and yeah. it changed his life. And recently they picked up some zero shoes and called us and said, we got to talk. And so we're putting something together. It's, um to be honest, it actually changed my life too. Like I was, my feet were broken. My And I'm not even saying this because I'm on your podcast. If I didn't like them, I'd just say it's shit because I like, I, that's not what it's about. But yeah. like I, I had shin splints. I, my feet were cooked. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything without getting feet pain. Like, and then soon as I stopped, soon as I stopped wearing shoes, like all these problems went away. 
And I just was, as soon as I had those changes, I was hooked. And then I only got into running into like zero drop and minimalist shoes probably three months ago. But that's been a whole other level of change again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's shocking. Um, I I say to people, you know, my wife has a great line. She goes, there's no reason to have another shoe company in the world. There's none of them unless your shoes change people's lives. And the irony is that the only way we're changing lives is by getting out of the way and people just don't get it. I mean, and I'm I'm talking to some professional um, sports leagues and I said, all we're doing is going back in time, back into the like sixties and early seventies before you got all these modern athletic shoes where injury rates have gone up, the type of injuries have gotten crazier, the severity of injuries have gotten crazier. So we're just going back in time, but then improving what you were doing back in the 60s and early 70s. And they're like, oh. Um, and yeah. they, and, and the pro athletes, they get it. I mean, they put on, I mean, some of them are nervous. In fact, we had this one basketball player who uh, he was just watching other players check out a shoe that we made. And he's like, eh, I don't, it's not for me. And then when no one was looking a little while later, he put them on and started trying them out. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm low to the ground. I'm getting, I can cut better. I got better balance. Okay, this makes sense. Well, the thing is, is when you first put on minimalist shoes, you're freaking out. Like, because you don't know, like you, you're feeling all these things. It hurts. It's it's harsh. But like, that's just you actually reconnecting again. It's going to take time. Yeah. Like anything, you've got to actually allow it to do its job, right? Like. Yeah. And it's different for everyone, the transition time. My favorite story though, um, good friends of my wife's and mine, we've known them for about 13 years, um, for almost as long as we've had the business. And they emailed us last weekend and said, uh, we got into play. We, they've never owned our shoes and we never pressed the issue because I don't care. Um, and, uh, I mean, it'd be nice, but you know, I'm not going to force our friends to yeah. wear my shoes. They said, we've never owned your shoes, but we got into playing pickleball recently. We needed new shoes. And we got on this website and ordered like 13 different styles to try them out. And one of the things they recommended was yours. So we, you know, we ordered a pair. So we tried on the other 12 shoes and just didn't like how they fit and put on yours and went, wow, these feel really good. Like, you know, my toes are spreading and I like the balance, but we were really nervous about playing in them. So, but we thought, all right, you know, we'll just bring another pair of shoes just in case if it doesn't work. And, uh, and they, they both said the same thing. It's like, during the game, we forgot we were wearing them. Yeah, like, that's yeah. how it should be. Yeah. yeah, that's how it should be. Yeah, that was a fun one. Anyway, but enough about me. Back to you for the win. So um, if people want to follow you and track you down and hear what you've been doing, because I'm sure there's things that we didn't touch upon, but it's certainly coming up on the the world record you're going for, which is, again, uh, nutty as a fruitcake. Um, how can they track you down? <laughs> Look, honestly, I've done a pretty good job of putting myself on Google. So if you put Ethan Fleming in on Google, Ethan Fleming Instagram, you're going to find anything you want. It's all there. It's simple, simple all the enough. challenges are there too. And and the link to this to the Strava group? The Strava group. Well, that one's buried. A, so you probably best to find me through my Instagram and then okay. you'll be able to see it in there. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm... Uh, and wait, what day does that start again? So that's... Uh, 15th of October in okay. Australia. So that'll be what day, day before you, for you guys. Yeah, 14th. That's going to, damn. Yeah. Um, um, that's two days after my wife's and my 20th anniversary. And we're taking a trip to Cuba where the internet access is not good. So you're going to be 90%. I'll be of, there for seven days. Well, <laughs> so I'm going to be there. We're going to be out uh, in Cuba for six. So I'll get the last day. That's the juicy day. That's the juicy day. That's the one you want. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, I'm, I mean, I, I'd want to be able to follow all along, not while I'm sleeping, but um, all right. I'll just catch you on the last day then. 
It sounds good, Sam. Well, it sounds good. Ethan, uh, first of all, you know, good, good luck. Um, secondly, um, I mean, as much as I, uh, as much as I jokingly uh, say things like, "Hey, this is crazy," this is really an inspiration. I mean, not because anyone else is going to try and do what you're doing, but to to your point, th- to discover that uh, what we're able to do is so much different than what we think we can do is such a big deal. And, um, and it's not just about athletics. I mean, this is something that my wife says all the time about our business. She never imagined in a million years, she just had the energy uh, to do the things that she's done. And, and I've watched her become a brilliant business person. She was already super smart, but you know, the things that you can learn, the things that you can do physically, um, it, it's, it, it's always helpful if there's someone who's really breaking the boundaries where if you're not going to go that far, it gives you that you can go probably farther than you thought. And that's almost always true. Uh, and so, you know, without, with, with no, no more joking or joking aside, um, I, I'm just so happy that we got to do this and I'm so looking forward to what you do next. And I really hope that it does give people, you know, that idea to get on their whiteboard and put a couple of, you know, times and distances on one side, whatever that means, and events on the other side, whatever those look like and find ways of <laughs> connecting those and ex- and expanding those beyond what you think you can do. Because, you know, look, even if you don't hit the goal, um, whatever that is, you're probably going to end up doing more than you thought. And even that um, is a, is just a tremendous opportunity for people. And and I hope they take, I hope it's inspiring them to do, you know, just that little more that they didn't know was possible. I hope it is too. Thanks, man. Pleasure. All right. Well, wrapping it up, first of all, again, Ethan, thank you. For everybody else, thank you. Uh, reminder, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find all the previous episodes, all the ways you can engage with us on social media, all the places you can give us a review and a thumbs up and a like and et cetera, et cetera. And if you have any questions or comments, if you have anyone you want to recommend being on the show, if you, um, especially if it's someone who thinks I've got my head firmly up my butt, that would be really entertaining. I keep, I find a few of those and I keep asking them, but they keep turning me down. But either way, you can drop me an email at move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. And most importantly, go out, have fun, and live life feet first.